0: Ideal Beach was built on the shores of Lake Schaefer in Monticello, Indiana in 1926. What began as a glorified swimming club became a dance hall in the 30s when affordable entertainment was in short supply. The resort became a destination for big bands crisscrossing the country and audiences in turn. Marquee performers from Louis Armstrong to the Beach Boys and Sonny and Cher played at the park, which over time added roller coasters and a new name, Indiana Beach. Like many generations of kids from Indiana and Illinois, WFIU's Hannah Boomershine went to the park frequently in her childhood. But her relationship to the park was different. This summer, Hannah Boomershine returned to the 90-year-old park to give us a special tour.
1: The water in front of me is full of gaping cart mouths, It is a site so simultaneously curious and repulsive that it's its very own attraction here at Indiana Beach, an amusement park located in Monticello, Indiana, in the northwest part of the state. It's a Sunday, a sweltering 90 degrees. I'm accompanied by my grandmother Joy
0: Bailey, grandfather Richard, and my friend Kyle. Yeah, back here, uh, this is where the ski show, and this was all open at one time. Um, All the docks were right here. It looks like they've added a few over here. But this is where the ski show will take off from and come around. And these were the original docks I think that you're looking
1: at. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, Indiana Beach hosts nearly a million visitors. This park isn't Disneyland or even Kings Island. Maybe more like a Midway on steroids. But unlike a Midway, Indiana Beach doesn't come and go with the seasons. It's been here a long time. In fact, the 90-year-old amusement park predates Disneyland by almost 30 years. Sitting on the Honey Creek side of Lake Schaefer, Indiana Beach boasts roller coasters, water slides, boardwalk concessions, a ballroom, and an upscale restaurant. Guests may choose from a mix of attractions, from daily water ski shows to an award-winning haunted house. I grew up coming to this amusement park, and so did my grandma. Her father, Tom Spackman, owned Indiana Beach, and his father before him, my great great grandfather, founded the park back in
0: 1926. My grandfather that started it, Earl Spackman, and uh, he worked for Ideal Furnaces. He actually had been transferred from Detroit down to Indianapolis, and uh, they came up when they, uh, he wanted to come up when he found that they were going to dam up. Uh, the Tippecanoe River, and form two lakes, which would be Lake Freeman and Lake Schaefer.
2: Yeah, he was like a lot of people, uh, you know, where do you go on the weekends in the summer, you know, when you want to get away?
0: I spoke with
1: W.C. Madden, a retired journalist, historian, and author of Indiana Beach, A Fun-Filled History.
2: And so he bought property up in in this area on Schaefer Lake.
1: Spagman created an idyllic beach spot and named it Ideal Beach after his previous employer, Ideal Furnace. Considering Lake Schaefer was a man-made reservoir, it took some work to create a recreational area that resembled a beach.
2: You got to realize the area that he did this in was formerly a cornfield, Okay. It's time when you'll hear our say, Indiana Beach where there'll always be more than corn. This is in Indiana.
1: The beach opened for the summer in June of 1926. Although it was before her time, my grandma recalls stories in her family passed down about the early years at Indiana Beach.
0: So uh, at the very beginning, there were uh, 10 rental rowboats and some refreshments, and I believe that you could rent one of those wool bathing suits for 25 cents, which had to be pretty awful, but people liked, when it was hot, we had no air conditioning, and people really liked to go to the lake and cool off. So that was really kind of the start of it. Despite its early success,
1: I was surprised to hear that the park my family would later go on to own for so long was initially sold after only one summer of business.
2: Uh, you know, in Indiana, sometimes uh, it can be a little rainy, it can be a little cool, and, and I guess it, you know, he didn't get the business that he really wanted, so he turned around during the winter and sold it to uh, one of the guys that was helping him, George Spurlock.
1: In a strange turn of events, Spurlock soon sold the beach back to Spackman, who now had an ambitious idea for the beach's future, a dance hall. Two years later, in 1930, the new and improved resort was open for business. But things didn't go smoothly right away.
2: Well, the day it was supposed to open, it burned down. And it was just one of those freak accidents that, that happens sometimes. And uh, But Spackman was a determined type of man. Sure, it was
1: 1930, and the nation was feeling the weight of the Great Depression. But that didn't stop Spackman from setting the goal of reopening the dance hall within a month of the fire. The grand reopening was set for July 4th.
2: It was actually ready a week before that. And uh, so it, it, it took off. And I think that was the key that made uh, Indiana Beach uh, really viable and successful. Other than having a beach where you could go swim, now they could go dance. You know, so you know, people could swim and during the day, and then dance
0: at night. And my mother and father love to dance. That again is my grandmother,
1: Joy Bailey. Her father, Tom, the son of founder Earl Spackman, is the one who really pushed to get musical acts in.
0: He met my mother at a dance, um, he was going to iu and she was from bedford and there were a lot of dances around that area and down at french lick they had you know the dances there Uh, they danced there to the big bands too Um, so um, i think that you know maybe his love of dancing is one of the reasons he he wanted to bring some of these bands in
1: the big band era was in full swing and the ballroom was a place to be at night the roof opened up for a view of the stars during music performances.
2: What do you do during uh, <clears throat> during a depression? What can you afford? Well, uh, since he's only charging a quarter and about a quarter back in those days were equal to about, you know, several dollars today, uh, he wouldn't charge that much. In fact, he charged the ladies less, so they would come in and then the men would be charged usually double the amount of what the ladies were charged. He had a lot of uh, low-cost uh, things, so he could attract uh, a lot of the population. And, and, you know, later on, when he had larger orchestras, of course, he would charge more. Uh, but, you know, only the people that could afford it would, would come out and see, like, good uh, Goodman and, and uh, bands like that, you know, the real uh, expensive orchestras.
1: That's historian W.C. Madden.
0: My grandma Joy remembers working in the ballroom in the twilight of the big band era. And I do remember that all of us kids worked and we started picking up bottles in the parking lot when we were probably 10, 11 years old because you could pick up the glass bottles and then dad would let us uh, keep the deposits. So it was a little extra money for us. So we would go out and clean up after people. As I got older, um, probably maybe 13 or 14, I would work in the ballroom on the nights we had entertainment in there in the big bands. People wore hats during that time, men did. And so I would check them and give them a ticket, and then at the end of the evening, um, you know, give them their, their apparel back.
1: Oh, I guess something I was wondering was, was working there like something that you wanted to do, or did it
0: feel like this is just what you do as your family, like an obligation? You know, I think growing up in an amusement park, now that I reflect back on it, is was probably really very special. But there were times that we didn't think it was very special because somebody didn't come in for work. You got that job, you know, that dad would call up and you thought, oh, no, I just came from the ski show. My hair is wet. Now I got to get myself put together and get back down there because someone didn't show up. Um, but I, I think we generally l- liked it because lots of times we moved around. I never... Uh, Ran rides in kiddie land you could start doing that when you were 14 but i usually worked in the restaurants and uh, the soda fountains and that type of thing and then the ski show so but we all did work and and of course i worked in the hat check you know in the ballroom and that was great seeing the bands and everything i can't think that there was ever a time that i didn't like what i was doing um there were times that i wish i could have been out there riding the rides and enjoying myself like the people because my friends would come and do that and I would be working so that would probably be a downfall but I I met a lot of really nice people um, other skiers from all over and uh, Indiana and other places uh, out of state and then um, a lot of other college kids that came to work at the park so that was really nice. By this time Ideal Beach had been changing into a full-fledged
1: amusement park and had acquired a new name along the way.
2: The beach really became successful with the dancing until Earl became, uh, of course, older. And uh, in 1945, he decided to turn the, the management of uh, Ideal Beach over to his son, Tom Spackman. And Tom had worked there since he was, like, 13. He had this first job at... Indiana Beach was working in the concession, so uh, he knew what he was doing. And uh, so Tom took over, and, and in '45, well, the war ended in '45, so you know, in '46 things got got better, uh, except for Earl. He had a heart attack in what it was Montreal, Canada, and and he passed away. So then it became uh, Tom Speckman's uh, beach, as far as. Uh, managing it and everything.
1: Ideal Beach was renamed Indiana Beach in 1952.
2: It's kind of a marketing thing, you know, a a name, of course. And so they renamed it uh, Indiana Beach in 1952 season, was the first year for Indiana Beach. It took a while, of course, for the name to catch on because everybody was used to going to Ideal Beach.
1: After having brought in some smaller rides in the 50s and 60s, Spackman continued to look for new ways to draw crowds into the beach.
2: Uh, Spackman had, Tom Spackman had the idea of, well, you know, he took a look at what was going on around uh, around the United States, and he decided that, why don't we bring in roller coasters?
1: The first roller coaster, the Galaxy, arrived in 1971. Tom Spackman continued to bring in wilder and wilder rides as time went on. Today, there are six roller coasters and many more rides and attractions. As it turns out, my great-grandfather didn't just get his thrills vicariously. On our visit to the park, my grandma points out the Sky Coaster, a ride that involves a few people being strapped into a harness and dropped, bungee style, through the air at speeds reaching 50 miles per hour.
0: We're now at the Sky Coaster. And the way that this got to Indiana Beach was, my father was, I believe, about 85, and he was in Florida, and he saw this ride, and he actually did it. And it was on TV in Florida, the oldest man to ride the Sky Coaster. And he bought it, and we have it now here at the park. Have you ever done it? No, and I don't plan on doing it. (laughs) I don't think my stomach would take this ride very well. Oh yeah, I know.
1: But we're getting ahead of ourselves in the 1960s when joy was a young adult there was more music history being created at Indiana beach as far as music what was your would you do you have like a top act like your favorite
0: that you saw i think for me um, the beach boys
1: you know it was sunny
0: and Cher. there was
2: uh, uh, the band Chicago—it actually Chicago played there under another name in early in his career, but it ended up playing there in 1970 as Chicago. Uh, Jefferson Airplane started before uh, played there before they changed their name. He had orchestra or band playing every night, or a rock and roll band would be playing. So uh, it was the it was the place to go, you know, in the area, and he, of course, it would attract people like uh, college students from Purdue. You know, they'd they'd hear that, hey, this rock and roll band's coming in, and hey, they wanted to come to Indiana Beach to see this rock and roll band. So we had a good audience there with uh, Purdue University close by.
0: Rock and roll came in, and then we had uh, the disco type of dancing for the teens, and you didn't find adults going out and dancing the way they used to during the 40s and the 50s. Yeah, one evening I had uh, two friends, Ben and Bill, who were counting money in the office and I came out. Joe is
1: a I longtime Park employee out. who remembers one striking performer at Indiana Park Beach in the
0: 1970s. Reason, and I said, one question, I just saw a person out here and I don't know whether it was a boy or a girl. And Ben started to laugh. He said, well, that's the entertainment. I said, what? He said, that's the entertainment. That's Alice Cooper.
1: Indiana Beach was an ideal location for music acts touring the country.
0: So a lot of the things we booked in actually booked from Indianapolis to here, maybe to Rochester, and then on to the Paragon in Chicago. So I think that was, we were on kind of the route, so that really helped us out in booking.
1: That again is my grandma Joy Bailey, whose father, Tom Spackman, ran Indiana Beach from the 40s until the turn of the 21st century. I was curious as to whether my grandma was aware how popular the various music acts were when she saw them perform at Indiana Beach. Do you think a lot of the people there, like, knew, or did you know, like, you're seeing the Beach Boys, like, this is a historical
0: event? I knew they were really good, and I think, you know, I knew they were just kind of a a new group and that type of thing.
1: Remember, this was pre-internet, and for a lot of people,
0: pre-TV. And you have to realize that um, TV was pretty... Early in this what 56 maybe that type of thing and my father's philosophy was well We're not going to buy a TV until they get the bugs out, you know a lot of people, you know Well, we want it when it's really good, you know, not when it's of course everything was black and white so I actually didn't really have that much TV till I was almost a, a Senior in high school or you know along those lines, and of course he didn't think you should watch TV anyway, so you know, so I wasn't aware of you know of a lot of the groups and when they were coming up, but I do remember listening to radio. Uh, my favorite radio station was out of Chicago. I think lots of times we we got. Perf- performers in before uh, we could afford them at that time but later on I don't think we could have afforded them and I think that's one of the reasons that we went to a disc jockey and the disco dancing. of course disco was really popular was that you could not afford Sonny and Cher or you know some of these entertainers you know later on but we were lucky we got, got to see them and hear them in a small town and I'm sure people came from Logansport, Lafayette, Indianapolis to dance here um, not just from White County. In the aptly named
1: White County, where Indiana Beach is located, black musicians such as Duke Ellington and
0: Louis Armstrong faced discrimination when they visited to perform at Indiana Beach. You know, we always fed them and did things like that, but they could not spend the night here in White County because blacks were not yet allowed to spend the night here. So they'd have to go to Logansport or Lafayette. But they probably went maybe drove even further than that to spend the nights. The local treatment of black visitors at the beach was not much better. You know, and and then when people, you know, from the Chicago area came down here and blacks would be swimming, white people would actually get out of the water. Of course, you know, that all changed as time went on. But I, I did see that as growing up as a child because we welcomed everybody to the park. So it didn't make any difference.
1: I was really glad to hear that the park was a welcoming place in an era when segregation was condoned. Beyond race issues, I was curious about my great-grandfather's mission for the park, at a time before the standard amusement park model existed. After all, when Disneyland opened in 1955, Indiana Beach had been in operation for three decades. While it's been established that Disney looked to small family-owned parks around the country for its inspiration, those parks in turn took their cues from Disneyland once it was founded.
0: You know, I think he was a really big fan of Disney and really respected what he did. Um, he really wanted people to come and have a good time, and he was always walking the boardwalk. And he would people didn't know who he was, but he would stop and talk to people and sit down with them while they were eating and that type of thing and ask them how things were going you know is there anything he could do for them so i think he really genuinely wanted people when they were on vacation to have a great time and enjoy themselves and to feel safe and being a small park you could actually probably sit down and have a coke or a milkshake or something and let your children go ride rides for thirty minutes or an hour and have them come back to you because it was very safe and lots of times you could almost see where they were so um... Yeah, I think his his mission was to entertain people and for them to enjoy themselves.
1: Over the years, as business ebbed and flowed, Tom Spackman came up with creative ways to promote the park, with the most outlandish promotions occurring in the 1950s.
0: This was the time when... Um, Uh, Roswell, and you know, people weren't sure if aliens had visited the earth or or anything, and people were seeing strange lights in the sky. I don't think we ever saw any over Indiana, but probably Texas and the southwest and that type thing. So he thought, well, that would be really neat. So he painted a big logo up on top of the roof there, uh, inviting uh, aliens to come and visit us from outer space. Well, you know, lots of people showed up, but we didn't have any visitors. (laughs) Then another time, there was a man that lived in a glass um, box down underwater, and you could walk by and see him. I'm sure he had to come out sometime, maybe at night, and then go back in the in this. But he was down there for a certain period of time. And and uh, so that was another thing that we created, so somebody living underwater, and you could, you could see his little house and everything from walking along the pier.
1: Wow. I think there was another one, too. It was
0: like a man twice a week would be shot out of a cannon? Yes, I remember that, and and, and in the parking lot area, and he really, I always worried he wasn't going to make it, but he did just fine and made the net, and we never had any problems with that. So, yeah, these were all advertising things to bring people into the park. Dad was always trying to think about uh, what could we do that people would like to see, and what kind of music would they enjoy? And when he was gonna buy a ride, it was always how many people can this ride hold?
1: Just as they come along, baby. Oh, yes, baby, baby you can't go to wrong. We ain't faking oh la shaking on. But
2: as we come along, baby, we got the cheap early two thousands. They, I think it was around 2001 that, he, that they decided they would try to sell the park.
0: How did you feel when the park was sold? Well you know um, I think we we took a look at our ages um, and most of us had other careers. I was a school teacher and I was retired, but yet in the summertime I would always go back and help whenever they needed help. And my father was in his 90s. Um, in fact he lived to be a hundred plus uh and so we thought maybe it's time to begin to look for uh someone to purchase the park um the people that purchased the park later we weren't as happy with them as maybe we were when we first sold the park because we didn't feel that they were really thinking about it being a small family park and they were thinking more like it should be run like great america or six flags and that just doesn't work here in a small town Morgan
1: RV acquired the park in 2008. The transition from family to corporate ownership stirred up some controversy among employees and in the city of Monticello. Issues included increased visitor fees, layoffs, and employee allegations of park safety violations. In August 2011, an inspector from the Indiana Department of Homeland Security inspected the park, finding no safety violations.
2: There's some things that have happened, you know, with this new company. They've instituted some new policies. And those policies uh, are not in, are not uh, liked by a lot of people that live here. You know, so, you know, people don't like change.
1: In November 2014, the park was acquired by Apex Parks.
0: The bathhouse up here, and you would go across, and, and you could do the toboggan ride, which is up there. So this is where people would change and now that's original up in there that's the original one and we're coming up on the Dodgeum, and originally that was a roller skating rink but as roller skating kind of phased out they put Dodgem cars in there so that was original that's an original building too oh, wow.
1: in the 90 years that Indiana Beach has existed a lot has changed the park seemed to have changed even in the 10 years since I'd been there last though if the park had changed more or if I had changed more, I can't be sure. Coming home in the car with my friend Kyle, we shared our impressions of the day at Indiana Beach. In a quarter mile, turn left on I'm South scared. East. That scared me. That was like fake fun. I don't know, because cause a place like this family owned, like it seems like it's going to be innocent. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's disappointing. As I processed the day in the car with Kyle, I became wistful. Maybe it was about the special character of the park changing. That my great-grandfather, Tom, wasn't walking around the park greeting visitors anymore and riding on the sky coaster. That That the park was being run by a faceless corporation. Or maybe the wistfulness was just an acknowledgment that I was growing older and no longer a child. But there were moments as the day wore on, looking at the lake, When I could imagine the couples dancing in the ballroom strung with colored lights, and I realized that even though the physical place had changed, it remained a jumping-off point for the imagination. For Cafe Indiana, I'm Hannah Boomershine.